Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a special conversation on Borat's subsequent movie film with Sasha Baron Cohen, Maria Bakalova, and Jason Walliner, moderated by Variety's chief film critic, Peter DeBruge. In the satire on Trump's America, Borat, a Kazakh journalist, is sent to America to deliver a gift from his government to Vice President Mike Pence. Along the way, his worldview is turned upside down and steadfast beliefs are challenged by his teenage daughter. Borat's subsequent movie film is now playing on Amazon Prime. Let's continue to the talk. Hi, welcome to the Q of A for Borat's subsequent movie film. I'm Peter DeBruge, chief film critic for Variety magazine. I'm here with Sasha Baron Cohen, who's been nominated for a Golden Globe Best Actor for the film. Uh, Co-star Maria Bakalova, uh, who not only has a Golden Globe nomination, but is also nominated for a SAG Award, uh, and director Jason Walliner, who took over for Larry Charles, uh, who directed the original film. The, the movie has been nominated for Best Picture Comedy Musical by the Golden Globes. I'm sure there are many more nominations ahead. It's one of my favorite films of the year. And now we're going to lob some questions to the gang here. Let's start just diving straight into, uh, if you were going to do a... Borat sequel, you know, why now and why this approach? Well, I might start that because um, that preceded Jason. That was definitely a Sasha question. Uh, oh, okay. Um, well, I think the first Borat probably, you know, it's a really funny film and that was the aim, but it also revealed a kind of dark underbelly of racism, anti-Semitism and misogyny, then under Trump, that uh, those values, those negative values became overt. And I became quite angry. I didn't know what to do about it. Um, and so this was my way of dealing with my anger, really, and revulsion of what was going on. So, you know, that those values that were the kind of dark underbelly of society suddenly burst into the open. They were spewed by Trump and regurgitated and spread by social media. Uh, I was really scared that, you know, that if Trump got in, America would stop, would be a, become a democracy in name only, it would become a bit more like Turkey or Russia. Um, and so, you know, there's not much you can do as an actor, as a comedian. The only thing you can really do is do what you do. You know, so I decided with my co-writers to dust off the gray suit, uh, boof up the hair <laughs> um, and go out there again. Is Borat sort of your secret weapon in this respect? Because, you know, you've been throughout the Trump presidency, you know, inventing new characters. You have the Showtime series. The, uh, th there's ways that you've been sort of poking at these new aspects. But uh, and, and I wonder uh, if you ever intended to sort of give Borat another run or if this moment sort of necessitated this thing that you'd sort of close the door on almost. It was, it was by luck, actually. So Trump got in, I got angry, I created six new characters, put them on TV in a show called Who's America. Um, one politician had to resign, another couple claimed that I'd ruined their chances of re-election, but it made a little bit of impact, but it wasn't, 
didn't really do much. Um, then for the midterm elections, Jimmy Kimmel invited me onto his show. He had a sketch planned in the end, in the last minute, 36 hours before going on the show, I said, what about Borat? Could Borat go door to door? Uh, actually, it wasn't even my idea. I ran out of comic ideas. I called up Chris Rock <laughs> and he said, why are you doing that sketch? Don't do that Jimmy Kimmel sketch, do Borat. You know, it's the midterms. I was like, Borat, it's impossible. Everyone knows Borat. I can't get it together in 36 hours. I decided to try it. I got the writing team back together. I got the hair and makeup, got the costume, got the lawyer, got the field team. <laughs> and we arrived the next morning without any material, just going, all right, how do we do this? Six minutes went on air. And suddenly I realized when I was interacting with Trump supporters that Borat was a great way to get them to really reveal what they felt. That was the reason I'd created Borat in the first place. It was a way for people to say things on camera they, they never normally would have done. Um, and because Borat was like a more extreme version of Trump, he was more misogynistic, more into white supremacy, more into caging children, possibly a little bit less into paying women for sex. He, <laughs> he was able to get these Trump supporters to really reveal themselves. And so did the Kimmel thing the next morning, I'm in with Dan Swimer and Ant Hines, my collaborators, and we were writing another movie at the time. And I was like, spend half an hour, just let's think about, is there a Borat movie? Because this works. And suddenly there was a reason we thought, okay, use Borat, the most popular character I have, most popular character I've ever had in America to get Americans to come in and basically do a little review of the crimes and misdemeanors of Trump and Trumpism over the prior four years and end with a call to vote. You know, high ambitions, who knows whether it had any impact, but the aim was to motivate people and to infiltrate and infiltrate the inner sanctum of the Trump regime and sort of demonstrate, you know, partly it's misogyny and motivate people, particularly women, to go out and head to the polls or not head to the polls. Well, we all see how sort of, you know, close these elections are. And so this is, you know, I mean, you, you are doing something. I think so many people in this country felt motivated on on all sides of this, but, uh, you know, to sort of like uh, to engage, to, to sort of build the team then, you know, your collaborators here, Maria and Jason, will you talk about, uh, you know, did you first contact Larry Charles again? Did you know that you wanted to work with someone different? Um, tell me about uh, sort of pairing with Jason for starters. Yeah, no, I, Jason was the first person we went to. Uh, I felt, you know, we needed a new take. You know, this was 14 years on. I didn't want everyone to be in their late 40s and early 50s. Um, and we knew also, if we were making a movie for the election, we needed young people to come out and vote. Again, this was our high ambition and just everyone out there who goes, who the hell is he thinking he can influence the election? When you're making a movie like this, when you're asking the crew to risk going to jail, getting beaten up, sometimes even getting shot, there's gotta be a reason to tell people why you're doing it. 
And there's going to be a reason for me as an actor to go, I'm going to wear a bulletproof vest in this scene and go out and shoot it. And possibly someone might, you know, take a shot. So, you know, the idea was to get a new voice. I'd been a huge fan of Jason's. I tried to actually get him to uh, work with me prior to this on Who's America. He turned me down. He was the only guy I felt I could do it. He'd worked, done brilliant stuff with Nathan Fielder. For those of you out there who've seen Nathan For You, which I think is the, it's genius, reality, comedy stuff. And Nathan's brilliant. And Well, Nathan's thing is kind of like the next generation, I think, of something that you've pioneered, Sasha. So it's kind of like looking to, I guess, this... Um, it reinvented what I did. Nathan had reinvented it and Jason had been instrumental in that. And uh, also I just loved Last Man on Earth, uh, which Jason was the main director of. And I realized, you know, it's so precise in the ability to execute farce. You know, they were properly, beautifully crafted farcical scenes. Um, and I was like, okay, that, is brilliant direction. I'd seen the stuff he'd done with Aziz. And yeah, asked him to come in, expected him to say no again. He read it and took the job. So we were very, very lucky. And also you need a director with incredible courage, right? He's going into these really dangerous situations. He's there in CPAC. He's running away from the crowd of <laughs> armed men chasing him at a gun rally. Uh, you need somebody with, you know, balls of steel. Um, so what was missing in your life? Just uh, sort of like uh, you weren't in mortal peril quite enough until signing on to this? Yeah, I think I. what happened was when we spoke about Who's America, I, I, uh, I was really working on this other thing and focused on it. And, it was, and I, I knew I would love the show, but I felt like I needed to kind of see this other project through. And by the time I got the call about this, I had... I, I we had a one year old child, my wife and I, and I think I must have just needed some danger <laughs> and uh, to to be chased. Uh, but no, as you soon as I got parenting so much, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I I've directed a, a good amount of television, and different movies have come my way uh, in the last decade. And my reason for uh, not engaging with all of them was always uh, I, I would only do a comedy if I thought it could be as funny as Borat. Um, it was always kind of my gold standard. Like everyone, I remember the experience of watching the original in the theater and just that communal wave, that crazy laughter. It felt like everyone in, in America was experiencing it at the same time. And and so I got the opportunity to meet with Sasha uh, and Monica Levinson and some of the writers about this. and. And, you know, they, they had already figured out a lot of the, the structure. They had figured out uh, the, the, basically the story with Borat and his daughter and what they wanted to do. And so it was all very daunting, but also so exciting to, to try to do a movie that could be a worthy sequel to what I thought was the funniest movie ever. But to also have this political goal of we have to get this out before the election and really kind of pinpoint what uh, Trumpism has done to America in a very clear way that will kind of make an impact uh, in any way we can just just to make a statement really before the election at the same time to uh, attempt this story with Borat and his daughter where you know in, in Sasha's movies I love his movies so much the two undercover movies Borat and Bruno and they have great stories but this was uh, uh, an attempt at engaging on an emotional level with the characters in a way 
that was a step beyond what what he had done in his movies before and that was very daunting and very exciting to see if you could take you know viewers when they watch a movie like this you're watching with this kind of two levels because you're aware that Sasha's actually Sasha Baron Cohen and he's actually not this character but this is a real person so you're doing this equation in your head knowing that the person in the scene is real but Sasha is not is not real to take that style of filmmaking which Sasha pioneered and then alternate that with scenes where you're just watching actors and really trying to get you to follow the story and care about it and invest and watch Tutar's journey as she goes from you know this this very primitive person living in a barn and and watching her go, come to America and have her eyes open and then watching her think about her father in a different way and watching her reject him and at the same time you're watching Borat grow through this movie in a way that didn't happen with this character and its whole uh, history over the last few decades so uh, yeah, they, they had big ambition. And, and I think that's, you know, besides being a fan, that's what excited me most. I love the script and, and just the attitude of, of, you know, this, this will probably fail, but if it works, it, it could be something really incredible. Maria, did you know what you were getting into? I mean, you must, of course, be familiar too with the original film, but uh, just the nature of what your performance is going to require of you and how much of it is going to have to be kind of, uh, uh, just invented in reaction to whatever arises in the in the moment. If I have to be completely honest, from the very beginning, not very very beginning, probably when I was close to getting the part, uh, I had a call from Sasha, Jason, and Monica Levinson, the producer, that is going to be something quite dangerous, probably, and we're going to do some impro scenes with real people. So I was aware that it's going to be different than usual movie where you are going to have only one shot and you either going to get the moment or you will never get it. So you cannot have a second take or a third take or something like that. Uh, I was familiar who is Sasha because by the time when the audition came, he, he had who is America and the spy. And of course I was upset how great of an actor he is, but I wasn't watched for it until I get the job. And which was probably even scarier because when I already, when they already chose me, I was like, oh my God, he is genius and he is here. He's at the sky. Am I going to be able to, to, to stand right next to him? Am I going to fail the, with this movie? But he guided me, Sasha, thank you. Um, he, be, he was my mentor and teacher and Jason directed me from the very first audition by showing me which which moment is more important? Where should be the emotional part? Uh, which which things should be full with heart? If that's the way it's said, um, and that's how everything started. How how did you guys settle on Maria? Uh, I mean, what what type of actors were you looking at? We looked at everyone. From specific countries or like with no, specific... We looked at everyone. We looked at every comedy actor in America within that, you know, who could play, you know, who could play 14 years old to, you know, you know, she's playing a 15 year old girl. So it had to be. So thinking they would do like an accent or, or like. Yeah, yeah. Like... By the way, we had people who were doing accents. We had people who were comedy actors in America who could speak a second language. With some people who could were speaking in Armenian, we had. You, and by the way, we flew around the world to find our tutor. We went and we flew to Canada. We did. We went around the world. We we actually decided that we weren't going to make the movie until we found tutor. We knew it was going to be so 
hard. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we literally auditioned hundreds of young women. Um, and I think she's one of a kind, you know, the courage you need, the, her emotionality, her believability. These are scenes where you need to be convincing as an actor, not just in that three minute scene, but it could be six hours that scene and you can't slip up. So you have to completely inhabit the character. And also, I mean, you know, the, you see the journey her character goes on from this, as Jason was saying, this primitive, almost semi-animalistic human to this conspiracy theory, right wing, one American news journalist who's, <laughs> you know, looks and acts in a way that is convincing enough that she actually convinced the lead Washington reporter of OAN, One American News, to bring her into the White House on the day that the president was there. So, you know, that's what a brilliant actress she is. She infiltrated Trump's inner circle. She was in a room in Las Vegas with the former president, separately in, a, in another room with the president's son, you know, and obviously going with Giuliani. It's just completely believable, hilarious, emotional, brilliant improviser, incredibly brave. Yeah. There was you know, I have to say that there's <laughs> something that this film and, and what you're doing and the fact that you're doing it now with world leaders and people who are in their circle, you know, as opposed to kind of uh, random or uh, random people or say Pamela Anderson or something, but, you know, you combine the achievement of the film and what happened at the Capitol last month and you almost, there's something really uh, upsetting about how easy it is to kind of penetrate what we thought were the layers of defense, kind of, whether it's to protect from comedy or from insurrection or what have you, but um, the, the movie relies on that. And there, there seem to have been maybe some, maybe some stunts you had that you couldn't have pulled off or what have you. But uh, uh, I mean, talk just a little bit about how porous or vulnerable that, uh, you know, that kind of barrier that we think is protecting uh, these figures from that would be? Well, we were helped by the fact that Trump and Trumpism shows a blatant disregard for expertise. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> under Obama, I doubt we could have got uh, infiltrated the, you know, a speech made by the vice president. So the vice president has exactly the same level of security service as the president. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we knew it was going to be extremely hard, but we knew that the secret service under Trump was not what it used to be under Obama. And, you know, we worked very hard to, you know, thing, thing like that is you've got the scene that you know you want to appear on the movie. Then you have the, how do I get in and actually perform the scene? then how do I get out without being arrested by the 15 or so secret service, capital police and local security who escorted me out and questioned me afterwards. So, you know, we were aided by the fact that uh, Trump had dismantled a lot of that White House infrastructure that was there to support the president and his, the people around him. And he brought in these non-experts like Giuliani. Mm -hmm. um, and also we appealed to his ego. I mean, the reason she could get in with Giuliani was we were making a documentary 
about how Trump's early action and you know wise action on coronavirus had saved two million lives. Right, the fact that people around Trump could participate in a documentary that was clearly a vicious lie, when the reality is that his willful incompetence had led to the death, the needless death of hundreds of thousands of Americans, was a way to get in for us. We knew that they were so desperate to propagate these false lies that if we were a company who was going to help them make it, would be able to get in. And Maria, that that scene we're talking about, the Giuliani scene, it really is, you know, the thing in this film that rides entirely on what you are doing. So much of the other things are kind of done with uh, with Sasha there, or or maybe with more of a crew. I mean, would you just talk about uh, the? It must have the stakes of that must have been overwhelming. You know, uh, that you have to sort of uh, pull this off solo yeah it is uh, it was overwhelming um everything that i've been doing alone has been overwhelming because <laughs> sasha has been developing board for 20 years probably and i was just there for maybe a few months when everything started and especially in the beginning with the conservative women uh center that was the first time when i had to be alone so mm -hmm. ever since then i was nervous in, before every scene that I had to perform by myself. Um, and especially when it's somebody that it should be high, really high educated, a lawyer. Lawyers are extremely smart people. The lawyer, the president should be somebody that is really high intelligent. So I have to be extremely convincing that this, this person will never guess that I might be an actor, that this might be a joke, that this might be a movie. So maybe because of that, I've been a little bit more overwhelmed, nervous. Um, and I remember that I knew that Sasha was in the closet six feet away from me, not because of the coronavirus only, but because he had to be hidden for a second and he survived there. And he came at the right moment, um, saving me, saving the scene, saving the movie and everything. So probably also because of that and because of, we had an incredible team of security people that I knew that we are gonna be safe because all of the scenes in this movie are legal scenes. They're completely legal. So he did call the police. We did run away uh, and we were fine. It was overwhelming. And the more I'm thinking about the scene is that what if he react this way if I was a journalist, a men journalist? What if he had been drinking with me if I was a man? What if he had been um, touching my waist if I was a man? Uh, would have he been laying on the bed or taking off his microphone in the bedroom if I was a man? And I'm guessing myself and asking, um, probably that's one of the questions that the movie is targeting. Aren't we should be equals, men and women? Why women should be a little bit subjugated, a little bit by the patriarchy? And how many years should, should go when we should start being appreciated equally? Again, equally. Why should why should try to change ourselves, our bodies and our behavior just to fit in the normal and the perception, not perception, the, the idea of how, what is the position of women? What is the function of women? Where are we staying? So maybe these are the things that I've been thinking about recently. 
That I mean, that's great, and that's that's well said because I think the brilliance of uh, of this character and it, it predates, you know, going back to the its creation on the Ali G show and the, you know, the Sasha your brand of comedy. It is this thing where you give people opportunities to kind of. Uh, to make themselves look like fools, to reveal the bigotry and the misogyny and all these aspects of their own, the ignorance, you know, the hypocrisy. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I think, the recipe that makes Borat uh, so special. And his foreignness, you know, it kind of adds this Alexi de Tocqueville uh, sort of aspect of, you know, the filter of of seeing America through this imagined uh it's not only a foreigner, but this perception of a, of a more ignorant or, or more primitive foreigner's eyes. Um, the, uh, w- would you talk just a little bit about, you know, sort of um, the, uh, a little bit more about the way that Borat, the recipe for him as a character versus your others, uh, provokes a specific kind of um, uh, infuriating response or revealing response from your subjects or from your targets? So yes, Borat, because he's so naive, um, lovable and extreme, he allows people to really expose themselves also for good and for bad. So, uh, you know, the real people in the first Borat often appalled us, but some of the real people I'd say in this Borat actually inspire us. Uh, Even Jim and Jerry, who espouse many conspiracy theories, they welcome and help a foreigner. They want to teach Borat that women are equal. So you have Judith, the Holocaust survivor. She teaches Borat about the reality of the Holocaust. She feeds him. She kisses him. Janice, the babysitter, you know, she helped. She helps Tuta realize that she does not need to change and she does not need to be possessed by a man in order to have worth and teaches her the independence of a woman. So yes, and you know, Bora until this point had been to shoot, get people to lower their guard and reveal mm-hmm. their inner prejudices. As I said beforehand, you know, under Trump and Trumpism, we'd seen how hate lies and conspiracies had become huge. What we wanted to show here was, this wasn't a movie about exposing hate, right? Everyone knew under, Trump, that hate was out and proud. It was not standing down or standing back. (laughs) Uh, But this was to show how these conspiracies and this hate and these lies are being spread were enabling the slide into authoritarianism. So, and tell me if I'm going on for too long, that song, the Wuhan flu, the aim of that song, it's a catchy song, it's a great scene. Tudor's got to find out at the end of it that Borat's going to die if she doesn't give herself to Giuliani. But we thought, let's do a scene here where we show at a Trump rally, they happen to be carrying semi-automatic weapons, that they would be happy to have Trump's second term involve him sort of destroying the fundamentals of democracy and being exhibiting violence towards um those who oppose him and they were bigger and bigger groups it wasn't just it started off with you know let's you know inject Fauci let's inject Obama then it was okay let's murder journalists let's slice them up like the Saudis do you know there was a verse with you know let's inject 
mask wearers with the Wuhan flu because they are the opposite. They are the enemy of true American patriots. And these are so, all verses you performed? Yes, on- these are all. So they are in the crowd. They're singing along that they should inject mask wearers with the Wuhan flu. There's a verse about nuking up China like we did in World War II, which obviously is not historically correct. But the idea was, you know, let's demonstrate that Trump gets in again, it's going to be the further dismantling of democracy and democratic norms. And it's essentially going to, you know, we were saying, you know, a lot of Trump supporters would be okay with keeping Trump or Trumpism in, even if it meant dismantling the fundamentals of American democracy, right, which we saw a hint of um, at the Capitol. I mean, behind this comedy is some very serious uh, concerns, and it's and it's uh, we've seen so many different people engage with all these subjects over the years uh, during the during the Trump presidency. This is, you know, it, to me, it shows the ongoing vitality of of Borat, the character, your brand of comedy, the idea that what you're doing is forcing us to look at all of these ugly, ugly things while laughing at it you know, through, through your unique brand of satire. Thank you very much. I mean, listen, that's why we made the movie, right? I mean, otherwise you'd be looking at three mentally ill people. Uh, (laughs) You know, nobody goes, starts a scene and puts on a bulletproof vest. Nobody risks, you know, going to hospital, getting beaten up or putting themselves in positions where they could be sexually abused. I mean, Right. The reason we were doing it was we all felt passionately about this election. We didn't know whether we could make a difference, but we felt we had to be able to look ourselves in the mirror on November the 4th, the day after the election, and go, you know, we did what we could. Right. And as actors, as comedians, as directors, there's only so much we can do. And the biggest thing we can do is making a piece of work that we think, you know, has a viewpoint and has a reason to be created. So I'm really just so glad that people went and saw it. Well, thank you all for, for sharing this with us. With Borat, you made you know, a comedy masterpiece. You know, the, uh, it's there in the, the pantheon of, of great comedies. It's on my top 10 sight and sound films of all time. And as impossible as it may seem to build on that, here in the sequel, I think you've done something that just really tied it to the moment and prove that Borat still is as effective as, as ever. So congratulations. That's very kind. I'll say one last thing, which was before when I told my contemporaries, uh, the other sort of comedy filmmakers that I was making a sequel to Borat, every one of them in the comedy world said, you're absolutely crazy. Um, a sequel to Borat is a disaster. Look at every other comedy sequel of the last 20 years is you are going to destroy and tarnish the <laughs> reputation of the first one. So the other thing we did was we were like, let's try and make something that's impossible, something that we think could be wonderful. And we will probably fail spectacularly, but let's at least try. And that's what we did. And somehow through a lot of luck, through a lot of planning, through the most incredible crew and actors and director and producers, we somehow managed to pull it off. So I'm glad we took the risk. Well, brilliant. Thank you so much and congratulations. 
Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much, Peter. Sure.